Hi, and welcome back to Conversations. This is the Multiplier Series. I'm your host, Monica, with our series co-host, Caitlin. Hi. And Jessica. Hello. We are all on our professional learning team together, and we've been diving into this book. We're on chapter three today, and this chapter is called The Liberator. So we are going to jump right in, and a special thank you to Jessica for creating the questions today, but to guide our conversation, but we've got tyrants are thriving in a very, tyrants thrive in a very hierarchical, hierarchy. here we go, I'm starting already. Hierarchy. Thank you, UN, <laughs> organizational structures, because they can use it to suppress people's thinking, and that's what the chapter is about. Um, it, they can also suppress people's capabilities by limiting their work or within their role or the department that they are quote unquote leading. So a good question to ask when you're thinking about tyrants in different organizations is in these types of organization structures where there is a hierarchy, there's an outdated notion that is actually limiting growth and genius. So do we agree with that or not agree with that? Um, yeah, that was, it was something that I was, I had thought about as I was reading the book because having an organizational structure um, that is more pointed or more pyramid shaped, I guess, and flat, um, kind of is a breeding ground for tyrant-like behavior, right? Because it's really easy to say, well, this is the box that we live in or that you live in based on your role or where we are in our department. And so it just got me thinking, you know, is our organization, traditional organizational structures, like an outdated notion? Because we're moving along to, I guess, being more collaborative. I mean, look at our physical spaces are even representing that now. Right. Um, so I just, it just got me thinking and, mm -hmm. I, but I thought also too, well, you kind of do need a formal leadership, right? Because when yes. problems arise, mm -hmm. somebody has to be yeah. guiding or I guess the, the captain of the cruise ship can't be the cabaret singer <laughs> and navigating everybody. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, that's, I don't know. that's just you what I want. Bringing someone... the multiplier humor. <laughs> there on this Friday morning. I mean, you do want someone. If we <laughs> stick with the uh, metaphor of of the ship. I mean, sure. you want someone at the helm who has the experience and the skills and the knowledge to you know lead the ship where it needs to go. And and um, I think I don't think it's necessarily outdated, but I think that that there are ways that we can. Um, you know, kind of incorporate some more flattened um, leadership without, you know, completely changing the whole structure. You know, I think that, um, you know, having, uh, sticking with that metaphor, having uh, some of the crew members uh, come and learn how to steer the ship and, you know, in case they need to, or just like, hey, you know what, one day you're going to, you know, need to be able to do this. So, let's try it out now and, and kind of supporting them and saying, you know, it seems like a really big task, but, um, you know, I think, I think you're capable or you can be capable. And, um, and that, so I think it's important to, you know, not always be, you know, the captain of the ship. Yeah. And I also think about that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I cannot remember the name of it. I remember when like they randomly went and started an Island Yes. And I don't really know why I'm bringing this movie up, except I just think about like people who go and try to start organizing like groups. You can't have everyone just be the same level because like you were saying, 
then there's no hierarchy does serve a need. It's kind of like people are like, don't do sit and get PD. And it's like, well, there is a time and a place for lecturing. There's a time and a place for hierarchy because if you don't have someone in charge to kind of organize the chaos of creating and then running an organization, then it can be a mess. And then what you're doing to move the work forward is not going to be structured enough for it to have the effect that you're wanting it. I just think like, I hope that when people walk in, in our collaborative space, <coughs> sorry, listeners, I have a cough, um, that there, you know, you can't tell who the leader is if you're in a meeting because I want it to be collaborative. And I think about the leaders that I admire who genuinely looked at me and said like, what do you think for the first time as a teacher, <coughs> excuse me, Mr. Whitehead did that. I remember the first time he asked me that and I was just like, oh, you want to know what I think? But it was genuine and authentic. And then I think about being in the room with leaders who have higher titles than me and which one, which meetings I feel comfortable with. And I can't tell who has the titles and which ones where there's a glaring, obvious situation. So um, I just think there's a time and a place for it. I think the outdated part of it is where it's a straight manager power trip. You guys are going to report to me. It's all mine. I don't really want your input. This is how it's going to be. It's not collaborative. It's not a feedback culture. I think that part is outdated. So I thought that was a really good question to guide. Yeah. Um, the, the movie you're referring to is The Beach. Beach. And yes. I don't even remember like the whole thing. I just remember I they had to like kind of create like a government or something. Mm -hmm. And I did just read, and I don't remember which city it was, in an article this week that this homeless community was just blowing up population-wise. But within this, and I want to say Washington, D.C., but I can't remember now. But they were saying how they have organically created like a government system in this homeless community where there are unspoken norms, spoken norms. There are leaders of this homeless population. And I just kind of, you know, thought that was very interesting to our human race. Like we've got to have somebody we can look to that are, is going to guide the structure Um but yeah, the beach. I don't know why that thought because it wasn't like a woman in charge, and then like you know, I don't know. Now I'm getting off. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that movie is interesting because you do think if people go and start some random island and colony, like there has to be some kind of structure, and aren't we all just in the or why island we, and colony of life? Why do we naturally gravitate to those sort of formal structures? You know, so that's <coughs> that was my thought, and I thought, well, it's if I'm a tyrant, yeah, I can always lean on that structure to keep my way, my comfort, my way of leadership going versus well, the vulnerability that you have to have when you liberate the people around you. Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary, I think, as a leader, because you you don't know what you're going to get. Right. It's you, a safety <laughs> net kind yeah. of to have a structure like that, <laughs> because the people who don't feel um, confident enough to take on the lead on things, they they're they feel safe in an environment where someone else is the leader because they can take the blame for things and they can make the big decisions without that person like feeling um you know a lot of pressure they're like oh well at least my boss is the one that's going to get you know the the brunt of this and um and then like you said for tyrants you know the, or people that have kind of that mentality they feel safe because they're the they're the boss and they know that um when it comes down to it, they're going to have the final say. And so I think it is safety for, for different people that they navigate towards that or gravitate towards that. 
And I, when I was getting ready for work this morning, I was thinking and reflecting on teams that I've led and just the different personalities and leadership types. And no matter what, everyone kind of reacts to leadership differently. And then like you said, like I've worked for some leaders where I didn't know if it was the best fit. And then others were like, we love this person. And, and you're kind of shocked because you're like, oh, I could kind of follow a tyrant mentality and structure as a leader. And I just don't really thrive under that type of leadership very well. So it, it like you're saying, I specifically think of a, a group that I was in. I'm not going to say like what group that was. And it was, it was like split. Like some people really like it. And then to go down a psychological path, like I wonder too, how much your childhood, the parenting that was done in your house, relationships that you've been in in your personal life contribute to what makes you quote unquote comfortable in those situations or not. If you're someone who maybe had childhood trauma, who gravitates towards tyrancy because that might be something that's comfortable for you, then maybe you always choose bosses who are tyrants because not only, it might be uncomfortable in terms of there's it's fear-based leadership. Mm -hmm. It might be comfortable for you because maybe your parents were tyrants mm -hmm. or it might be uncomfortable for you because it might trigger you from a relationship you had before. So I wonder how much of, um, of that is rooted in what people's personal lives look like now and in the past. I think it's a <coughs> also a generational issue. And I know people are, you know, you always read a lot about, you know, millennial versus Gen Z and everyone else in the middle gets left off. But no, no, but, but if you think about like where you grew up, where your formative year, professional formative years were spent and the business models that were common practice. And I know for myself, it coming from that very traditional corporate structure, when you do, when someone comes in and gives you or creates the climate so that you can be a genius and express yourself, there's some discomfort there because you, um, you know, aren't sure. And if you don't know your leader role, what the reaction is going to be, or, um, or, if you, or if you don't have feedback or, you know, so I think there's a lot of factors that play like personal experiences, professional experiences. And I think a lot of the newer professionals that are, that are coming out, um, have are having different experiences. So yeah, those new employees, them. think about that. You know, they're coming into collaborative spaces yeah. that are open and that are welcoming. And um, so, or at least I hope they are. And Google environment. <laughs> it's freedom. almost like customer service has turned not only for, like a ch I think of Chick-fil-A mm -hmm. who takes care of customers. And I generally feel like I got a food hug when I left, mostly because they're like, have a great day. I'm like, no, you have a good day. But it's like almost <laughs> it's turned internal into the people serving the people. Uh -huh. yes. Like, I feel like I really like that switch to where it's now like, and it should have been this way the whole time. And I strongly believed in servant leadership from the beginning of my career, but it feels more like it's accepted now. Like mm -hmm. we're serving our teams and how can we, and, and how can we like incorporate the whole person and the experience instead of just like, how can we serve the people we serve better? Right. Yeah. Chick-fil-A is turned inside. You know, um, you know, in thinking about this chapter and, and well, you know, every chapter kind of connects like um, one multiplying discipline with uh, the opposite diminishing discipline. And I think the word tyrant 
is, and I think we've talked about this before, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, but the word tyrant almost is too much for me because I think it turns people off from being reflective of like, well, I'm not a tyrant. Like, cause it's such an extreme term. It sounds like hyperbole. Right. So I don't, I think it might cause people to say, to not even reflect on, on the practices of a tyrant because the word tyrant just sounds like, um, you know, they, they talk about it, the devil wears Prada, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, what's her name? Miranda. Miranda. Yes. (laughs) And so people just automatically go, well, I'm not, I'm not Miranda. And so, so instead of looking at what are the qualities of a tyrant and am I doing any of those things um, in my current role as a leader? Um, I think that, you know, it, it might be too harsh of a word um, because I think there's a lot of in between being a tyrant and being a liberator, yeah. right? Um, I think it's definitely like a spectrum and I don't think anybody is a hundred percent liberator or hundred percent tyrant, um, but we have qualities of both. So how can educators be multipliers in their classroom and liberate the genius of students? When we're talking about being and listeners who are not in a school district, we obviously are. And I really think this could be, you know, applied to any position. But in our case, like how can educators be multipliers? Well, as a classroom teacher, you know, one of the hardest things to do <coughs> is to turn over completely turn over the learning because a lot of us were you know you always teach for the most part you start out teaching how you were taught and um you know working in pairs and groups was definitely not the norm in my k through 12 experience um so when i started teaching you know trends started shifting and it was you know we saw the benefits of collaborative learning and peer-to-peer learning and I think a lot of um, educators kind of struggle with that because they feel like if I'm not, you know, uh, at the helm of the ship, where is this learning going to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's going to happen to yeah. it? Um, so I think I love that, you know, technology, I think technology makes it easier and blended learning makes it easier to kind of relinquish that learning over to, to students and that it's okay. And Somebody said, and I think it was Les Compline, she said one day, a master teacher, or she had heard, a master teacher, you should never be able to say, like, where does your teacher stand or sit most of the time? Because a master teacher is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all room because they're really just facilitating what the learning the students are doing on their own. So I thought that was, that always stuck with me. I thought that was really interesting. I think teaching teenagers, this is a, a, a bit easier because they're they're ending their I mean and, and in my case I taught freshmen through seniors but specifically my seniors are about to go to college it's it's a, it's so close it's mirrors parenting so much it's like giving the responsibility to them while also leading them I liked the example in the book of the teacher that they gave said work hard make them think help mm-hmm. them learn because with teenagers, I just feel like you can have more open discussions to kind of lead them to what they think about a specific topic and show them leadership skills that they can immediately take to college in a few years, depending on where they're at in their high school careers. <coughs> but it's like effective parenting. Like if they make a mistake, it's like talking through it with them instead of shaming them. 
<coughs> I'm gonna stop talking because I keep coughing. Go ahead, Caitlin. Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was gonna refer to as well. Was the um, the teacher in the in this chapter, Mr. Kelly, mm -hmm. who was like an eighth grade history teacher, and the kids talked about him like he was the best teacher they ever had. Um, and when the researchers kind of watched him and, and in action and interviewed him and stuff, what they saw was not what you'd expect eighth graders to say was the best teacher they have. Just let them watch movies all day, every day. Or, you know, um, this the teacher um, was created like the book says, a liberator creates an intense environment. So it was an intense learning environment for them. But he had high expectations, but he gave them the support and the feedback and the coaching needed to reach those high expectations. And all the kids said, you know, um, there's a quote that says, he doesn't tolerate laziness. You're always working, thinking things over and seeing your mistakes so you can learn from them. It's a professional and serious environment, but it gets lighter and more fun as the students work harder. And I thought that there are a lot of um, work environments like that, that aren't just in the classroom, but, um, where, you know, you work really hard and you accomplish great things. And then the work becomes fun because you're, you know, you're accomplishing, you know, great things and that people are, um, appreciative of what your, your team is doing. Yeah. Cause you're more satisfied, you know, as humans, we're more satisfied when we have accomplished something that we thought was difficult or that we couldn't and it was insurmountable but we did it together and i think as an educator you know you have to create that classroom culture of risk-taking and um i always liked the idea of um the learning pit mm -hmm. and you know teaching kids that we're all going to be in a pit one day but we can you know we can reach out of that and and overcome that and what a great feeling that is but it's going to require hard work it's going to require collaboration and um, self-reflection. Another part of the book talks about when to become a liberator is to label your opinions. So, for example, one story shared in the book describes how a leader divides his views into soft opinions or hard opinions. So let's talk about what kind of impact labeling opinions can have on employees. Yeah, I think, well, the example that they talked about in the book was, you know, and the, this particular leader actually changed, he started labeling his opinions after he realized he was a little bit of a tyrant. Mm -hmm. And, um, <coughs> you know, they gave him another example of a leader who everything she said, whether she, even facial expressions that she made, um, determined the decisions that the group made because they, they felt like her opinion meant everything and her opinion meant they had to change a project or change a direction. And so as a leader, realizing that you can give what they call, I think they called soft or hard opinions. So a soft opinion is like, Oh, well, you know, these are my, um, like, let me just share my, let me, just, let me share my thoughts, but don't take it to heart kind right. of thing. Right. Versus, Oh my God, no, we, this is a directive. We need to do that. And I think that's so important because as an, a staff person, mm -hmm. you you always look to your boss or your leader as the person that's guiding. And, and, like, and that th makes me think of Miranda Priestly, mm -hmm. the scene in the movie where she, you know, I think she winced or something or she pursed her lips and they were like, OK, we have to change the whole collection. <laughs> yes. And so um, but, you know, labeling <coughs> your thought, like I'm just sharing my thoughts or I mean, yeah, I would do that differently. But go for it, do what you try that out versus, you know, stop what you're doing right now and 
and and let me tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. As somebody who believes strongly in a responsibility to followers, we're all in a responsibility of followership to someone that we serve that has a higher title than us. I do think that it is the leader's responsibility to label opinions. However, I do think it's a skill that follow that's involved in followership of like knowing when a leader is trying to give a bigger picture or give context or just an opinion that's light or not. I know that can be difficult depending on who who's leading because I can think of different personalities that I've been under that I'm like, what do they mean by that? Or what are they thinking right now? But I do think there is a responsibility and followership too to figure out the cadence of communication of the leader that you serve. Mm-hmm. I think it's a balanced responsibility with the communicator and the, the receiver. Um, because if you don't ever figure that out, it can be stressful as a leader always be like, okay, I've got to label this and label that. You know, sometimes if I call my mom to tell her something, she wants to give advice. And if I don't label the story as venting, she will give me advice every single time. Well, it's annoying sometimes. Sometimes I just want to call and tell you a story mm-hmm. and you figure out, am I wanting advice or am I just venting about something? So I just feel like, you know, in my studying of followership, there has to be some kind of responsibility of the receiver as well to figure out the communication and also ask questions if you don't know. Hey, when you say these kind of things or what did you mean earlier when you said this, mm-hmm. if you think there's some kind of miscommunication, just wanted to add that. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you can't, you know, you as a leader, you're not, you can't liberate someone to do, I mean, and they may not be doing it the way you would have done it, but in the end, the product, and you're like, wow, but genius there. Yeah. That's why they're here. That's why they're on my team. And, but I agree. I just, I, I figured out yeah. like my supervisor currently, I know when she's giving an opinion and when she's, you know, maybe saying like, this is, this is what needs to happen. She doesn't ever come out and say like, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. Right. But I know the difference in when she's saying that and when she's giving yeah. coaching yeah. and mentoring. Versus- <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm the leader and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. she's never said, I'm the leader and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. I have just figured out her communication in the last year well, to know like, oh, okay, that, that's the way we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of read this part as <coughs> um, maybe not always the, the leader doesn't have to like physically verbally label their opinions versus as soft versus hard, but just kind of internally reflect before, um, you know, working with, with their, their team or their followers or whatever it is, just kind of think, okay, before I tell them this thing or that thing, like what is to me a hard opinion, you know, where do I stand on this and, and do, is there room for me to, um, to give a little, can this, if, if it's, if you think this is a hard opinion, I've got to do it this way. Can you reflect and go this, maybe I could soften this opinion up a little bit and maybe there is room for a little, a little wiggle room in this, in this opinion. And I think that that there is a, a responsibility on the follower, but there is a responsibility on the leader too, to sometimes weigh, um, not just automatically go, this is soft and this is hard, but could this be a little harder or could this be a little softer? I think that's something that we have to weigh sometimes. Yeah, for sure. So a liberating climate climate also gives a lot of space and expects kind of like you're saying, there's this ebb and flow. So how do you know when you've gone too far with either element of it being too loosey-goosey and too hard of expectation? <laughs> I gave the extreme on both sides. Well, I think um, 
you know, in the book, the the difference, they talk about the difference between the liberator and the tyrant is the tyrant creates a tense environment where people are afraid to speak up, afraid to share ideas. They kind of get shut down. Um, and, and like people would walk into a room just like, oh, what's going on in here? Like, uh, it feels yeah. very tense. Um, and then the liberator creates an intense environment. And of course, intense, depending on how you, you think of it, it could have a, a negative or positive connotation. But um, in the way it's used in this is it, it's positive to have an intense, like um, you walk into, you know, an office where people are like, doing good work and but everybody's generating ideas and there's a lot of buzz in the atmosphere and there's just good work going on. I think that's where um, the difference is in creating a tense and an intense environment. Um, but I think, you know, when you've gone too far, when people that you're leading, when your team begins to kind of hold back their ideas, or like the book says, they start to only share safe ideas that they know the leader will already agree with rather than, Hey, what about this? Or trying new things. They go, well, I already know she's going to want this or he's going to want this. So I'm just going to suggest that instead. Well, and to the other side of that, though, like, can you be too liberating mm -hmm. at the same time? You know, how do you know, like, what is enough space, mm -hmm. I think, is something that um, is definitely probably one of, I think, the scariest parts of, of really embracing the liberating um, perspective. Um, so I was just thinking, you know, how do you know? how do you know if it's too much like um, too free range, I guess, versus, you know, just the right amount. I think that's interesting because having both of you be new and full transparency, that's something that I, you know, constantly reflect on because there are a lot of things, you know, you two have only been in the positions for three months, although both of you have amazing experience, a ton of great qualities. I could do a whole parade right now of why both of you were selected for this team. Let's go back to the parade. Okay, yeah, let's go back. <laughs> so first, Jessica, <laughs> then Caitlin. Um, I think, though, it's like, it's kind of like when you come straight from campus to central office. It doesn't matter your experience. <clears throat> I just want to publicly apologize to the listeners. I apologize. I'm on day 18 of coughing, so I'm fine. Um, I just think it's difficult to like you just said, it's like you, when you, if you give too much space, there are factors that haven't, that you guys haven't seen yet or haven't been a part of the conversations or many meetings about X, Y, and Z that would affect this. And then it's my job to make sure you have the context, but then at the same time, not, you know, expecting so much that it's like not realistic to you being new at the same time. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it is, it's an interesting balance because you know, I try to let you guys, you'll say like, Hey, let's switch this. Great. Put it on the after action review. Let's switch it next year. You know, like, um, but then there are some things that have a lot of history behind it, or the person we're working with has a lot of history behind it. A lot of unspokens when you get to a new team and it makes it interesting to try to do both. As far as expectations, I always struggle with that because I expect a ton from everybody. Like, I'm like, I want us to be like, y'all know varsity, like we need to be the shining example of a professional learning department. And I struggle with coming down from that at all. And yesterday we were in a HR leadership meeting and they were talking about like giving grace to people missing deadlines or, you know, not showing up to meetings or falling behind on the work. And that is difficult for me because, you know, I just come from a 
different mindset. And I'm sure that has to do with my Enneagram three. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's just, it's just interesting. We're turning a corner in, you know, working and in leadership and in groups, especially after the pandemic, because there's just so much more layers. And I don't think they haven't been there before, but they just are more elevated now, obvious, highlighted. And so I think all of that also goes into giving your team space while also expecting a lot. So if, I think if you found the magic answer that you could write a book about that <laughs> and be rich. So one thing that got me thinking when you were talking about being um, <coughs> the balance between, um, you know, being too liberating or too tyrannical. Um, this is a weird example, but stick with me. I said a Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio movie earlier. Okay, so whatever so, you say, uh, probably not even right. there. So think about all the different types of eggs you can buy at the store now, mm. right? And right. the different ways that those eggs or the, the chickens are raised. If you look now, it used to be just eggs, right? You just bought eggs. But now <coughs> you have cage-free eggs. You have uh, pasture-raised eggs. You have free-range eggs. You have um, all of these different ways that the chickens are raised um, in order to, you know, create the best, healthiest egg. All right. So these chickens, like you don't want them to be completely free range where they're just roaming the neighborhood and getting into God knows what. But um, you don't want them to be those in that, stuck in those cages either. So maybe something in the middle is like a pasture raised or, um, you know, where they're they're a little bit free to do, you know, things, but but they're still a controlled environment. And I think that's kind of the balance that we're aiming for when we talk about the teams that we lead. Like we don't want them to be like crazy, you know, just do whatever you want. Um, but not in so much of a tyrannical situation where they're afraid to to speak up and share new ideas either. Yeah. Yeah, be the healthy chicken. Yeah. Be the, eat a healthy chicken. Healthy chickens. So raise. clear expectations, you know, project milestones, checking in, but also call, I call it cross-pollinating departments and work groups. I mean, mm -hmm. I think leaders and another way to liberate is to be willing to share a genius, right? Oh, you guys are doing it? I know someone I think would be... I really contribute to that project yes. or here you can have Caitlin. She's really great at this. this okay, is, I you could create cross-functional teams too, to yeah. tackle maybe, a, maybe a, a, a district wide. Oh, okay. And we do that. So, like we have meetings where people yeah. are giving, but um, I think that's very liberating. I mean, I think, you know, you're <coughs> giving people stretches yeah. and you're tapping into their genius and that's, that's what multipliers do. That's what liberators do. Well, thank you guys both for contributing to our multiplier series will be back again next month, the first Friday of the month of December. Again, this content is from the book Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. Go by Liz Wiseman's book. We barely even touched on the content and the research in this chapter. Here's to taking our learning to transform the world.